0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Elliot Dorf. The lawyers here will know what the Socratic method is, um, because that's what's taught in first year law school to students. Uh, in any every law school, the Socratic method means a very uh, detailed d- uh, discussion of the meaning of the text. In that case, legal text. In other words, what can the text mean? Uh, the various ways of doing that. Um, for you well, know, since 1974, uh, I've been teaching a course in Jewish law at the law school at UCLA, and. Um, and uh, originally with Professor Arthur Rosat, aloha shalom, and then uh, in, the last 10 or in the last 20 years or so, I've been doing it on my own. In the year before COVID, um, one of my students, one of my Jewish students, uh, invited some of his fellow Jewish law students at UCLA and some of his non-Jewish uh, law students at UCLA to their seder. Um, and after, you know, you know what we do at a seder, right? We we, we impact the text of the Haggadah in all kinds of different ways. And at the end of the Seder, one of his Christian friends said to him, now I understand why Jews are so good at the Socratic method. It's built into your religion. Um, and the, the thing I think that is important there is that what we take for granted, um, this, this method of looking at texts and, and interpreting them in a whole variety of different ways. The rabbis actually say, shivim panim la Torah. There are 70 faces to the Torah. That's something that we take for granted, but it's not taken for granted in in any of the other religious traditions that I know, both either East or West. Um, and is not taken for granted in some philosophical traditions either, actually. Um, This is one way in which the Jewish tradition differs from other traditions. And what I want to do, uh, since um, I would imagine that you all spent two nights unpacking that that text, uh, what I want to do is zoom out and talk about some of the big differences. Uh, between our religion and others, and between our religion and some secular philosophies. Because what's true about the differences among the various religions of the world is also true about the secular philosophies of the world, Western liberalism, communism, existentialism, and so on, Right, where they give you very different pictures of who you are as an individual and who you should strive to be. And also, who you are as a community and who you should strive to be. So, I'm just gonna take three of them today, the ones that you know the best, probably, uh, to sort of show you, to sort of remind you that what we're doing is not obvious. Okay? Um, so, the first one I wanna compare Judaism to is the American secular tradition, which is really a form of Western liberalism. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What am I quoting? Declaration of yeah, Declaration of Independence. Jefferson cribbed that from Locke. Locke, had said, Locke. John Locke had written that about 100 years earlier. He had said life, liberty, and property. And Jefferson changed that to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you can imagine how many doctoral dissertations have been written about that one. Right? In other words, why the change? But in any case. And as an American, I'm an individual with rights. We, in the Jewish tradition, our, our core story is Exodus, the march to, to, uh, to, to Sinai, and then to the Promised Land. At Sinai, we don't get a single right. We get 613 commandments. Uh, I do a lot of interfaith work. And uh, as I say to some of my Catholic audiences, this is the beginning of Jewish guilt. Right, but they say to me, You guys know nothing about guilt. We have that <laughs> corner, okay? Uh, but in any case, it's, it's also a very strong sense of we're members of a community with duties, as opposed to being individuals with rights. Now, sometimes rights and duties are reciprocal. So I have a right to my jacket, and you have a duty not to steal it, right? But not always. My, my, my duties to my children are different from my duties to my parents. My duties to my country are different from my country's duties to me. So rights and duties are not always reciprocal. And then, and more importantly, if I get up in the morning and I'm an individual with rights, then the world owes me. But if I get up in the morning and I'm a member of a community with duties, then I owe the world. So it's a whole different perspective on who I am and what my relationship is and should be you know, to other people. That doesn't mean that there are not overlaps. There are, in fact, a number of overlaps between American ideology and Jewish ideology, one of them being that the individual is taken very seriously uh, in the American tradition because we are born with inherent rights in the Jewish tradition because each of us is created in the image of God, right? very different reasons that get to a respect for individuals, which, by the way, does not exist, for example, in communism. Right, where the where the state really takes precedence over any individual rights. It doesn't exist in Buddhism either, where the whole notion that we are an individual is an illusion. And we need to basically divide, you have to overcome that illusion and melt into the greater you know, tam tamata. You are yet, you are part of that greater being, and any individuality you have is just an illusion. Right? So the American tradition and the Jewish tradition overlap in, in taking individuality very seriously, although for very different reasons. The American tradition and the Jewish tradition also overlap in taking law very seriously, uh, that the, the culture needs to be written by, be, uh, governed by law, and that even, well, Deuteronomy 17, the king has to write a copy of the Torah and have it with him at all times. So even the king is not above the law. And as we're finding recently, even a former president is not above the law. Perhaps, right, perhaps hopefully not. Anyway, the, um, the point is that the, the, the notion of individual uh, respect for individuals, the notion of government uh, run by law, uh, are things that are one of, are two of the ways, two important ways, in which American ideology and Jewish ideology reinforce each other. Right? There are some other ways, but those are two important ones. But there are a number of ways in which Jewish ideology and American ideology are, are at odds with each other. And we, as American Jews, uh, try to integrate those pieces into us, sometimes more uh, successfully than others. The other uh, tradition that I want to just talk about uh, briefly is Christianity. Uh, because my guess is that everybody here knows a lot of Christians. Um, And I do a lot of interfaith work, and Christians are not at all at one. Uh, They're the Catholics, and even the Catholics are not all at one. Uh, Just look at all the problems the Pope is having um, at the moment. Um, And I'm not talking about his physical problems. I'm talking about uh, dealing with some of the more conservative uh, bishops in uh, in the Catholic hierarchy. Um, And then, of course, there are are liberal Protestants and there are evangelical Protestants. Um, But for all of them, uh, uh, if you, again, think of their primary story, it's the the, uh, crucifixion and and resurrection of Jesus, right? So the, the, the central thing on their radar screen is that I'm an individual who sins. I've been born with original sin. That is, there are sins in my very origins, my DNA, as it were. And there's no salvation by works, according to Paul in the New Testament. So nothing I can do in, in my life can overcome my sinfulness. The only thing that can do that is by belief in a supernatural intercessor, namely Jesus, who can overcome my sinfulness. Um, So one of my very good friends is Richard Mao. Uh, Richard Mao, um, I first met 30 years ago or something. He was a philosopher at Fuller Theological Seminary. Fuller Theological Seminary is the third largest Protestant seminary in America. The two largest are Baptist seminaries in Dallas. This is in Pasadena. It's an evangelical seminary. He is, uh, Richard is really smart. He has a PhD uh, in philosophy from the University of Chicago. He is also among the most well-read people I've ever met. Um, and, or uh, part of me says, but, he is also a very com- committed evangelical Christian. Right? Right? So we have had many conversations. And once and he's, he really is interested in things Jewish and had me come and talk to the student body and the faculty there and all, all kinds of things during the 20 years that he was president. Um, so I've gotten to know him quite well. And, and almost every fifth sentence is, there's human sinfulness again. And I said to him, Richard, lighten up. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, human beings then do some really bad things. But they also can do some really good things. Um, And if you want to have a really accurate way of understanding the human being, is that there's a range of us, and there's a range of the things that each one of us does. But you see, that's a very different, being born with original sin is a very different understanding of who we are than what you get in the Jewish tradition. Where we get, we're born with a self serving instinct, the Ezra Hara, and then later we developed an altruistic instinct, the Ezra Hatov. We immediately, according to the rabbis, have the self serving instinct. Just look at an infant me, me, me. Actually, we have some very good psychological evidence that infants don't even realize that mommy and daddy are separate from themselves until about the third month of life, right? They're just extensions of me, right? Um, and it takes a while to develop the altruistic instinct, thirteen years the rabbis say, inspired by Mitzvah around that time um, and From that time on it 's a, uh, a tug of war between those two it 's the need to balance the, uh, the self serving in you and the altruistic in you um, and the, altru- the, the reason why the altruistic is called the Azeato Toad is because you 're more likely to go, do good things when you 're trying to do good things for other people and more likely to do bad things when you're doing self-serving things. But you need to do self-serving things. Your life comes first, the Talmud says. Right? It's sort of like what they tell you on the airplane. Put, first put the, the mask on yourself and then try to help others because if you don't survive, you can't help anybody else. Right? So you need to, you know, as the Talmud says, your life comes first. And you have to make sure that you take care of that first. But then you also need to, to help others. Um, and that's that kind of balance between the self-serving and the altruistic part of us is how the Jewish tradition understands us, right? We're not born with DNA of sinfulness or virtue. We're not born with either original sin or original virtue. We're born with the ability to do both and the need to try to balance those things. That's a very—and notice, by the way, it's an individual on a cross, in the Christian way of understanding the things. So the individual, it, and only the individual, can be saved or damned, right? Whereas in the Jewish story, we leave Egypt as a community. And it's as a community that we either prosper or suffer, right? It's as a community at the Golden Calf and at Mount Sinai and all of that that we all suffer. Um, so I mean, there's a much more communitarian sense in the Jewish tradition of who we are, a much stronger sense of being connected to family and community in the Jewish tradition than there is in either the American secular tradition uh, or in the Christian tradition. Um, I've been on the uh, debate for a lot of people who convert to Judaism. And when you ask them, why are you interested in converting, sometimes it's because they fell in love with another Jew. And that's okay as long as they also fell in love with Judaism by the time they convert. Right? But why do you, what are you interested in? The two things I hear most often are, number one, a strong sense of family and community in the Jewish tradition, which they did not have a sense of, presumably, in whatever tradition they're coming from, usually Christianity. And the other, the ability to ask any question. Right. Now, these are things that we as Jews take for granted. But I think one of the things that, that we need to appreciate on a, de- on a holiday like, like this, in which we celebrate and talk about, um, maybe endlessly, the meanings of this central story of our tradition, we need to understand that it's not obvious and that other traditions in the world, created by smart and moral people, have understood individuals and communities